and last night. God doing the impossible and praying for the impossible. I like that God features himself in impossible situations, aren't you? God has a way of doing something that no one else can do. And can I say this? He, just, he isn't just a God of the Old Testament either. You read all these stories in your Bible. You read them in, uh, you hear them in church. You hear about all these amazing things that God did of yesteryear. You hear about him parting the Red Sea. And man, I wish I was there to see that. You hear about him dropping the walls of Jericho. I mean just like dropping them straight down with the blow of a trumpet. Seems kind of impossible, doesn't it? But God doesn't, isn't just a God who did the impossible. God is a God who does the impossible. And looking at this, the, the looks I'm getting doesn't seem like you're fully convinced. But I'm hoping by the end of the time I'm preaching today that you will be a little bit more convinced at what God can do. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, right about in the middle of your Bible. Psalm chapter number 34 is where we'll be this morning. And Psalm 34, the book of Psalms, as a matter of fact, is the only book in the Bible that is not divided up into chapters. There are no chapters in the book of Psalm. Each psalm, or each what we call a chapter, is actually an individual psalm, which is why at the top of each heading, it does not say chapter 34 or chapter 55 or anything like that. It says Psalm 34. These are actual times and places where David and others would write down their thoughts, their songs, their prayers. And this was the songbook that the Israelites used to use whenever they were worshiping the Lord. And we see here in Psalm 34, a psalm of David. If you'll read that heading right at the top, it says, A psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I love the Psalms for no other reason, because many of them, if not all of them, give you a little bit of background as to what the writer was going through at the time of the writing. Tells you a little bit more of the context. Sometimes you read a portion of Scripture and you don't get the context. Well, in the Psalms you do. And you see what David was going through here in Psalm chapter number 34. And I just want to focus on one verse. Just one verse that we have here that teaches us a profound truth from the Word of God. Go to Psalm 34 and verse number 8. Psalm 34, 8. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say, oh me. <laughs> oh, some of you still getting there. We'll start reading. Hopefully y'all will catch up in a couple hours or so. The Bible says, Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Let's read that all together. It's a rather short verse. Ready? Begin. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. For just a few moments this morning, I just want to preach a simple message on this thought, taste and see. Taste and see. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so very much for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for the, the chapel, the singing, the, all that we, our hearts have been through, Lord, and, and uh, experienced this morning already. And Lord, we desire now to take just a pause in the rest of our lives and the rest of our day and Lord, focus on what Your Word has for us. And I pray, Lord, that every distraction would be lifted, that every, every opportunity for things to go wrong, Lord, would be set aside. And Lord, that You would get a full uh, hearing of Your Word. May, may Your people 
truly understand what it means after leaving today to taste and see that you are good. Bless the preaching, all that goes on. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever been going down an aisle of the store, possibly even the toy aisle, and you look up on the shelves and you see all different kinds of toys, right? And, and parents, y'all can back me up on this one. The best toys are the ones that make the most noise, right? The ones that are mo- the most obnoxious, the ones that cause the most mayhem that your kids are just going to love to just, just play the batteries out of that thing while you're over in the corner saying, make it stop, make it stop. I know that's exactly how it is, right? Well, on a lot of those products, they will have a little cut into the plastic. They'll have a little bit of a, a show into what's inside. And if you're lucky, kids, if you're lucky, you get to find the toy that has a little button on the inside. So you don't have to buy it. You don't have to take it home with you. You can just press the button on the inside and see what happens. Now, what's most disappointing is when you go and you hit the little try me button and you find out that it's already out of batteries. Has that happened to anyone else? You've tried the try me button and it didn't do a thing, not a blessed thing. I'll tell you a little something just because, I mean, I guess I have to be honest from the pulpit. So when I was just a little kid, my brother and I loved to go through those toy aisles and we loved to see how many of them we could get to go and just babble and make noise all at the same time. So my brother would start on one end, I would start on the other end, and we'd just try to hit as many buttons as we could and see if we'd get everything lighting up like a Christmas tree all at the same time. So if you come across a toy in a toy store that's completely out of batteries, I apologize. That was probably me and my brother, okay? So I'm sorry for that. But it was, it was kind of fun just to go there and hit every single button and hear this, all this racket. Was, I mean, everything was saying something, but you couldn't tell. It was just, I mean, it was like Congress, right? It was like politics. I, that was my first introduction to politics, actually, just going through and just hearing all these things meaningly babble. But that was a trial. You go and you push the button because you want to see what it does. Or as you get older, You'll find you get emails and you find things on social media that says you can have a one-week trial. It's completely risk-free. It doesn't cost you a thing. We'll still make you put your credit card information in. Don't worry about that. I mean, don't, don't bother with that information. Those are the, just the little details. But we'll give you a free trial for one week, for 30 days. You don't have to pay a cent. And then they just hope you forget that you signed up for this thing and let it hit your credit card balance the next available time. But it's free. Why do toys put a little try me button on it? Why do companies say, we will give you a free trial of a certain product? Well, it's because they know something that the psalmist knew all the way back in Bible times, that God has known from the very beginning of the world. And it's simply this. Little bites lead to bigger appetites. Little bites lead to bigger appetites. I brought something with me this morning to hopefully illustrate this simple fact. How many of y'all like Hershey's chocolate? 
Oh, man, it's good stuff. You know the nice thing about Hershey's? is that they, are, they have the delusion that you're actually going to share this with someone. So they put all these little squares in there so you can just break off a piece and eat it one at a time and just have a little bite and put it back on the shelf and say, mmm, that was good, but I am plumb full up. I cannot, I cannot stand another bite. I am full. There's not another... I mean, I could, maybe I could just take a little more crumb. One more crumb, but that is it. Man, I am just... Whew, that one square really filled me up. But that's never what happens. We'll have one square and say, you know what? That tasted pretty good. And another square, I mean, it's small, Sebastian. It's not very big. What, what harm could it do? So you just eat another square, and you just eat another square, and before you're done, all you've got left is the wrapper. And some of you, I wouldn't put it past you to eat that too. <laughs> all that's left is the wrapper. But what does Hershey know? They know that small bites lead to big appetites. The psalmist in the Bible understood from having a different kind of little bite and a different kind of little taste that he had a big appetite for the Lord. He spent time around the Lord. Even as a little shepherd boy, he was out in the field writing psalms and worshiping the Lord with all of his ability. He was playing songs on his harp. He was spending his time wisely. And every single time that he would spend time with the Lord, it would create an appetite to have more. The problem that I see in a lot of young people today is that we are not even willing to take that first little bite. Not willing to taste of the Lord's goodness. Not willing to taste of His blessings. Not willing to taste of His mercy. We're so consumed with junk food of our own that we never take time to feast on what God has for us. But the psalmist here made it very clear, hey, if you taste, you'll find out the Lord is good. You'll experience it for yourself. For just a few moments today, I would like to look at three areas. At three areas of your life that God wants you to taste and see that He is good. The first one, if we put it up on the screen, taste and see God's precepts. Taste and see God's precepts. You're already in the book of Psalms. Turn over, if you will, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 in your Bibles this morning. Psalm 119 is yet another, uh, another psalm that was written. It was actually a psalm written almost exclusively about the Word of God. Coincidentally, it's the longest chapter, if we're going to call it a chapter in the Bible, the longest passage in the Bible, and let's look at just a few verses to see if the Word of God is really worth our consideration this morning. And by the way, this applies to the youngest all the way to the oldest. God wants you to taste and see that He is good. But not just Him. He wants you to taste and see that His Word is good. Look at verse number uh, 9. Verse number 9. Psalm 119, verse 9. The Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Jump down, if you will, to verse number 11. But, uh, the psalmist writes, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. 
Go down a little further. Verse number 16. The Bible says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. One more. Let's go down to verse 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. Are you getting the theme here? Are you getting the big picture? God says, if you want my blessings, it's time to taste and see that my word is good. Taste and see that my word is worth your trust. My word is worth your consideration. We won't give a show of hands this morning, but how many of you on this Thursday have even taken time to crack open the pages of the Word of God and get anything out of His Word, feast on anything that He has given for you? Some of us, if we had to raise our hands or not raise our hands, would in shame leave our hands down because we have not yet opened the Word of God. This may be the very first time as we come to chapel. God says, I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you than what a preacher can pack in one chapel message. I have so much more for you than what a pastor can preach on a Sunday. I have something for you every single day if you'll only read it. That's what God's Word is. Oh, taste and see that His precepts are good. Three things underneath that. We see that the God's precepts, not only are they God's precepts, but they are pure. They are pure. The Bible says in Psalm 12, 16, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Psalm 19.8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. If that wasn't enough, Psalm 119.140, Thy word is very pure. It goes from pure to very pure. As I was going, and, um, and I was pretty, pretty well set that, that my wife was the one for me, and I was about ready to uh, get engaged, I had to go and find something to make sure that she said yes. You realize that all this, for some reason, was not enough. There had to be something else. And, as you know, if you've spent any time around Hallmark, when you get engaged, generally, getting down on your knee is not enough, and just telling her how much you love her is not enough. You have to actually give her something. Right? And I'm just going to give you a little, a, little, uh, a little help, guys. It's not enough to just go down and get a ring pop. Please don't try that. Because after she's done eating it, she'll forget you gave her anything. All right? So it needs to be something that'll last. So I went out and I started looking at engagement rings. I started looking at all different kinds, all different cuts and colors and clarities and carrots and all those fun things. And one thing that was really important to me when I was looking into it is I wanted to see one that was very, very clear. I wanted, when you looked at it under, under that little magnification tool, I wanted you to see it sparkle. When you took it out into the sun, I wanted people to see it from all the way down the street. You know what I'm saying? I wanted people to know, hey, she mine. You don't get a chance at her. I already took that away from you. That's what I wanted it to say. I wanted it to be clear. And in order for it to be clear, it had to be pure. And so I looked over and over and found what I knew was the perfect one. And it was worthy of her. 
But it had to first be pure. We see God's word. It goes from just being pure. The psalmist says, thy word, the longer I get to know it, it's not just pure. It's very pure. This isn't just something that will pass inspection. This is something that will pass inspection with flying colors. This is something that will absolutely be the purest you will ever find. You will not find another book, another set of words, another person to ever speak who will have pure words than God does. Say, well, Brother Caleb, all that's fine and dandy, but what does that mean to me? Why does it matter that God's Word is pure? Why does it matter that God's Word is very pure, as the psalmist says? Well, let me say this. God has given us a pure Word because He desires a pure people. God doesn't just desire to give you a pure word and have it do nothing for you. God desires to give you the pure word that you will read it, that you will taste and see of it, and that you will become a pure young person as well. Did you know that God's word has a way of purifying us? God doesn't just want you to to be pure in one area. Let's look at a few different passages of Scripture. The Bible says, number one, God wants you to be pure in your mind. Not just pure, pure in very specific places, pure in your mind. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let me ask you this morning, how's your thought life? How are the thoughts that go through your head? Some of y'all are thinking, well, Brother Caleb, many, not many thoughts go through my head. <laughs> kind of just two crickets up there playing racquetball all the time, you know, just right back and forth. Well, what about the thoughts that do go through your head? Are they pure? The thoughts about your classmates, are they pure? The thoughts about your teachers, are they pure? The thoughts about God, are they pure? God has given you a pure word. Why? Because He desires you to have pure thoughts. But not only a pure mind, God wants you to have a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let me ask you this. Is your heart pure? When God looks at you, Does he see a pure heart? Say, Brother Caleb, there's a lot of me. There's a lot of me out here. I mean, don't I look good? I'm dressed the part. My hair is done nicely. And I I have nice clothes on. And and, and I have a a beautiful smile on my face. Isn't that enough to please the Lord? No. Whenever Whenever the prophet Samuel came to pick out David, he looked at all of David's brothers. And he saw how amazing they looked. But then God told him, it's not about what's on the outward, because God sees the heart. He said, they could be ten foot tall and as manly as can be, but if they have a rotten heart, I want nothing to do with them. And when God looks at you, what kind of a heart does he see inside? See, a heart that is full of selfishness, a heart that's full of greed, a heart that's full of lust, a heart that's full of all kinds of vain imaginations... Or to see see a heart that is focused on Him. A heart of service. A heart of giving. A heart that is truly dedicated to Him. What kind of a heart do you have, young people? Is it a pure heart? 
But can I say this? Not only does God want you to have a pure mind, He wants you to have a pure heart. God also wants you to be pure throughout. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So this is God's will for you, young person. He said, I give you a pure word. Why? So that you purify your mind. So that you purify your heart. And if that's not enough, just purify the whole thing. All right? Just take your entire life and run it through the purity scale of God. He said, I want you... I have saved you. I have taken you from death to life, from hell to heaven. If you are saved today, here's my plan for you. I want you to be pure. By the way, God has always been a God of purity. He's been a God of purity since day number one. And he still desires to see purity in you. Are you a pure young person? Is that a word that could be used to describe you? His words are pure. But can I say secondly, his words, they're promised. His words are promised. The Bible says in Titus 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Aren't you glad that God keeps His promises? Aren't you glad that God didn't change His mind about saving you? Aren't you glad that God didn't say, you know what, I promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but you don't know Marco, but you don't know Gunner, but you don't know Addy, but you don't know Megan, you don't know what they've done. God says, yeah, you know what, that promise that I made, you know, maybe I really didn't mean it. Aren't you glad that God keeps his promises to you? Aren't you glad that God doesn't change his mind based on how we are to him? Imagine if God did you like you do him. Imagine if God was only as faithful to you as you were to him. Imagine if God only kept his promises to you compared to the promises that you made down this altar toward him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God keeps his promises. And his promises are true every single time. As a matter of fact, we can go throughout Scripture. He promised Adam and Eve that he would send a Savior. I think he kept that promise. He promised Noah that he would never again flood the earth, the world, uh, with, with a uh, flood again. He kept that promise. He promised Abraham a nation. He promised David the throne. He promised Hezekiah 15 additional years. He promised Peter a coin in a fish's mouth. He promised to give the disciples the Holy Spirit. Can I say, young people, that when God makes a promise, He will keep it. Not just once, but every single time. Say, Brother Caleb, why is this, how does this apply to me? I'll tell you. He's promised you that He'll always be with you. Hebrews 13 tells us that your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's promised that he will be faithful. He's promised that he would always love you. He's promised that he would give you wisdom. I'm telling you, young people, God's promises are something you can cling to. But some of you don't even know what promises are in the Bible in the first place. You say, why should I taste and see that the Lord is good? Maybe there's some promises in there that will help you with where you're at right now. Whatever's going on at home right now. 
Whatever's going on in your classroom right now, what's going on in your neighborhood right now, what's going on in your spiritual life right now, I'm saying God's promises are things that you can cling to when the devil comes up to you and lies directly to your face. You can say, "Uh uh-uh, devil, God said over here that he would and he will. That's the kind of promise that you can cling to this morning. His word is pure. His word is promised. Can I say lastly, his word is powerful. His word is powerful. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jeremiah even describes it like this. He says the word of God is like a hammer. It's powerful. It cuts. It, it, It pounds. It breaks through the hardness of our hearts exactly when we need it to. Often we turn away from tasting of the Lord's power simply because we're scared of what it will do. We say, I'm not going to taste and see of the Lord because if I taste and see, I might actually start reading my Bible more. I might actually start listening to it more. And the more that I listen to it, it might change the things that I do. It might change the words that I say. It might change the friends that I have. But that's God making you pure through his word. Young people, don't be afraid of the power of the word of God. Don't run from the purity. Don't run from the promises. Those are things that God has there for you to taste and see that he is good. Very quickly, we see God's precepts. I must hasten. We see, number two, that we can taste and see God's prosperity. Some of y'all are here today, and you're old enough that you have a job where you're making money. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun coming home with a paycheck. It's fun coming home with some spending money. And some of y'all need to learn how to save, because some of y'all just all spend. Some of y'all, but it's fun, right? It's fun to go out. And I love that pastors encourage all the teenagers, brother leader, encourage the teenagers to go out and do something. Go out and make money. Go out and, and, and find a job. And go out and just do something with yourself and do something with your life. And that's wonderful. But can I say this? That along with that, God also has a desire for your prosperity. But God's method for your prosperity is a little bit different than the world's. The world say, save it up, just grow and get as much money as you can, work as many jobs as you need to, don't worry about family, don't worry about your, your spiritual life, don't worry about anything else, just worry about all the money. But this is what God said in Malachi chapter number three. We're talking about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring ye all the tithes, that's 10% of everything God has given, bring them into the storehouses, that there may be meats in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know what God's method for prosperity is? Hey, put me first and watch what I do with it. God says, hey, if you want my blessings upon your life, you got to trust me with your prosperity. you got to trust me with any of the money. Some of y'all got maybe Christmas money. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But can I tell you this? That God can do way more with it than even you can. We see that in the little lad with the, with, with the five loaves and two fishes. He gave it all to the Lord. And what did God do? God took it and multiplied it and gave him 12 baskets full in return. 
What, can I, what am I saying? I'm saying that God can do more with what you have than you can do with what you have. I'm saying God can take that whatever offering, whatever tithe you give to him, and look what he says. Look exactly what he says in Malachi chapter number 3. The Bible says, and prove me now. That sounds a little bit like taste and see if you ask me. Prove me now. Hey, take a test. I want you to try me. I want you to just give and see what I'll do with it. Let me say this. God said not only are we supposed to be giving, not only are we supposed to be proving Him, if we go over to Luke chapter 6, I love this verse, and I know Pastor does too. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said this, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Now the Bible could have stopped right there. Jesus could have put a period there, but instead He put a semicolon. Because He wanted to expound on that. He said, Give. You know what that means? Number one, you must give before you get. You must give and prove God before you see the blessings of God. But I see number two, and it shall be given unto you. Not only must you give before you get, but you must give what you want to get. It says give and it. What is it? It is what you gave. Give and it shall be given unto you. Say, Brother Caleb, I want people to give to me. That would be awesome. I want God to give to me. That would be great. Start by you giving. Give and it shall be given unto you. We could stop the verse right there, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let me show you how much I'll give back to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. You say, Brother Caleb, I want to trust God with my prosperity. But what's going to happen when I do? Well, if we're taking God at His promises, this is what God's going to do. I want to trust God financially, but I don't know how. Let me see if God, if God is worthy of it. Let me see. He's going to give you good measure. He's going to press it down. He's going to shake it together. And He's going to let it run over. Newsflash. That's a little bit more than you gave to Him. He will give more to you. It mu you must give before you get. You must give what you want to get and you must give in proportion to what you want to get back. And I say if you just give a little, God will take that little. He'll still give it back in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But what if you give Him more and trust Him with more and trust Him with more? How much more will God give back to you? So you can taste and see his precepts, taste and see his prosperity, but lastly, taste and see God's path. God's path. If you're there still in the book of Psalms, jump over to uh, chapter 25. Almost done. Psalm chapter 25. Young people, God desires that you will just have a taste of what he has to offer. And his path is the only path that truly matters. Psalm 25, in verse number 10, the Bible says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such that keep His, commandment, His covenant and His testimonies. Can I say this? Number one, it's an exclusive path. The path of the Lord is very, very exclusive. It's so exclusive that Jesus in the New Testament said, I am the way the truth and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God's path isn't one that you can do your own thing and God will be okay with it. God's path is one that he says, I am the only way. It's a narrow path. Matthew 7 tells us, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for straight is the gate, and, uh, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go, there, go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Can I say, young people, that God desires you to taste and see that his path is true. Some of you are here today, and you've never yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're trying somehow, maybe you're just trying to be a good boy or a good girl or a good son or a good daughter. You're trying to just get through and pass on to your next grade. But can I say, boys and girls, just being good is not enough. Just being kind is not enough. Just being respectful, just being nice is not good enough. Because our sin still needs to be paid for. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Young people, if you want to go to heaven, you have to pick the right path. If you want to get where God is, you have to go God's way. And I'm saying that for the youngest to the oldest. If you want to get where God is, you have to go by His path. It's an exclusive path. Only through Jesus it's a narrow path. It's straight and it's narrow. But can I say this? It's a rewardeth path. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, but without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I told you earlier about this chocolate bar. And I could stand up here forever and tell you that this chocolate bar is amazing. But to someone who's never had chocolate before, they have no clue. I could make it sound as incredible as possible, but until you take a bite of it, you just truly don't know what you're missing. Can I say this? Those of us that have been serving the Lord with our life, we know something about this message. We know something about tasting and seeing the Lord is good. Ah, Sister Grace. Sister Grace, you've been in the ministry for a long time. You've seen a lot, both as a preacher's kid, also as a pastor's wife. You've been through ups, and I'm sure you've been through downs. Let me ask you, has God been good? Huh. Maybe it's just a fluke, though. Just only one person? Just one person. Mrs. Rolf, Mrs. Rolf, happy birthday, by the way. Mrs. Rolf, you've been serving the Lord for quite some time as well. You've seen all kinds of things in ministry. You've seen all different groups of kids come through your class. You've seen the ups and you've seen the downs. Mrs. Rolf, would you say that the Lord's been good? Hmm. Maybe he's just good to the women. <laughs> for the leader. For the leader, coming all the way across country to Baltimore, Maryland, of all places. Wow, that is, that's some serious sacrifice right there. Brother leader, you've served the Lord for quite some time as well. After all that you've done, after all that you've seen, 
And after the prayers that you've prayed, and the ways you've read your Bible, and you've read God's promises, Brother Leader, has God been good? We could go all around the room. You could go up to your teacher any point in time today. Just ask them, has God been good? They'll tell you. He has. But young people, aren't you tired of just hearing about it? Aren't you tired of just hearing about what God's done to them and in their lives? How God's been good to them? Don't you want God to be good to you? Don't you want to have your own testimonies where you can say, hey, I prayed this prayer and God came through. I trusted his word, and he came through. I did what God told me to do. I trusted his precepts. I trusted his prosperity. I trusted his path, and God came through. Don't you want some of your own testimonies? That can't come through your teachers. That can't come through your youth pastor. That can't come through your pastor. That can't come through Brother Caleb. That has to come through you, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I said, Brother Caleb, I want to. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. That can all start today by making a trip down to this old-fashioned altar and saying, God, I'm no longer content just hearing about your goodness. I'm no longer content about just hearing about the testimonies. God, it's time I had my own. It's time I trusted your precepts for myself. It's time I trusted your promises for myself, your prosperity for myself, your path for myself. And God, today... January 6th, 2022 is the day that I start trusting in you and tasting and seeing that you are good in my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. The altar is open. If God's going to work in your heart, come and do business with Him. Have you been tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Boys and girls, God doesn't just want to be good to the adults. He wants to be good to you. He wants to be good in your life. He wants you to see how good He's going to be. Oh, I could tell you the many times I've prayed and God's come through. I could tell you about the amazing and specific ways that God has done a work in my life. 